Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, Peter Navarro is the former trade advisor to President Trump. The January 6th committee subpoenaed a wide swath of information they demanded from him, as well as his testimony. As you know, it's been my contention that that committee is basically a front for the Justice Department's criminal investigation, which makes its activities utterly and completely unconstitutional, not because of reasons other people have been saying, but because of separation of powers. And when you're using a committee as a Trojan horse to stalk individuals or to try and find individuals and throw a very wide net hundreds and hundreds of interviews and so forth and your purpose is really to provide that information to a federal grand jury or U.S. attorney or the criminal division of the Justice Department you are effectively violating the constitutional rights of individuals through the back door And, of course, the media play along. Mark Meadows, Steve Bannon, Dan Scavino, and uh, Peter Navarro, all held in contempt of Congress, two of whom have been indicted, Bannon and Navarro. Now, here's the deal. Today, they picked up Navarro at an airport, and they put him in Handcuffs and leg irons. Handcuffs and leg irons. 
because they said he was an escape threat. Man, 72 years old, he's known all over the place. He's no escape threat. All they had to do is ask him to show up. Just to show up. And here's how NBC News writes, and in a court filing, the government said it didn't want to warn Navarro about the arrest ahead of time because it, quote, will give the defendant the opportunity to flee, tamper with witnesses or evidence, or take other steps to interfere with the criminal case. No, it wouldn't. They could tell them, his lawyers and him, that they want him to show up in the next six hours, ten hours, twelve hours. He's not some hardened criminal. He's not a mobster. You see the difference, ladies and gentlemen? You see the difference of how a Republican is treated versus a Democrat? He was indicted on two counts of contempt of Congress, one for failing to provide papers, another for failing to provide testimony. Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress over Fast and Furious, in which a border agent was murdered. Arming the drug cartels. Remember? He was never charged with anything after he was held in contempt of Congress. He was never indicted. It was all laughed off. It was all a big joke. And Navarro called the House plan a panel a sham committee that is working in collusion with the White House, certainly working in collusion with Meritless Garland. No question about that. Typically, the way these cases would be handled is that there would be a hearing. Not an arrest, a hearing, where a judge says, I want to know what Mr. Navarro's objections are, Mr. Attorney, and I want to hear what he, on your, what you on his behalf have to say, and the government as well. You don't start handcuffing people, putting them in leg irons, arresting them. That's not how this is supposed to work. These are not criminals, ladies and gentlemen. These are political opponents. Political opponents. These are not criminals. And just because Congress sets up a committee and holds hearings doesn't mean that should be leading to necessarily subpoenas and indictments and handcuffs and leg irons. What's remarkable about all this is this isn't the first time. They're doing other things. Like they were getting phone records behind the backs of the individuals to get access to listen into their calls, to get information about their calls without notifying them so they can't even get in front of a federal judge to raise objections. They can't even get in front of a federal judge to raise, raise objections. That's not how that's supposed to work. A committee of Congress is not supposed to be an appendage of any criminal investigation, and yet that's the purpose. They have announced it. They've said over and over again, their goal is to get Trump. In so many words. This is shocking. And of course, I don't know anybody else who's even willing to point this out. Certainly not in the phony media, any so-called news platform. You've never seen any former Democrat 
working for a former Democrat president treated this way under any circumstances. Period. And now he faces prison time on each count, and he faces a $100,000 penalty in each count. During Friday's court hearing, Magistrate Judge Zia Faruqi suggested to Navarro that he should be mindful about his public comments. Every time you speak, you could be putting yourself at risk, the judge said. That's right, because let the committee which has all of its production efforts ready, which, as I read today in The Hill, is going to be holding hearings at 8 p.m. Eastern time, prime time, insisting that the networks, rather than running their programming, cover the hearings just to make sure you folks are watching. Doesn't this demonstrate further what's going on here? They get a professional writer to write up what's taking place. They have nobody representing on that committee. The Republican side, the president's side, any of these people. At one point, Navarro told the judge he plans to ask that his civil suit be heard before the criminal case against him can proceed. This is something that needs to get to the Supreme Court, he said. Navarro called the misdemeanor criminal charges a preemptive strike by the prosecution against his lawsuit even though he was subpoenaed before he filed suit, says the article. And he's representing himself in the legal case. There was no reason reason to indict him. There was no reason to put him in shackles. Leg irons and handcuffs other than to humiliate him other than to send a message. There was no reason for this whatsoever. He's no flight risk. He's out today as I read this. For a flight risk, he wouldn't be out today, now would he? Really appalling what's going in here. So, contempt of Congress is punishable by up to a year in jail and a $100,000 fine per count. So he could spend a maximum of two years in jail and a $200,000 fine. Even though this committee is a front group, a front operation, in my humble opinion, for what the Department of Justice is doing. Now, a few other points. I told you about the hearing that they want to have at 8 p.m. It's going to be a spectacle. It's going to be all one-sided. It's professionally produced. House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol formalized its plans Thursday to hold its first hearing during primetime. The committee staying mum about who its first witness will be, but announced it would kick off its slate of hearings during the 8 p.m. time slot on Thursday. Chair Benny Thompson, Democrat Mississippi, has previously told reporters will be as many as eight hearings spread throughout the month. The month of June, as the committee wraps up more than 1,000 interviews and prepares to present its findings to the public. The primetime slot indicates the committee is eager to make a case to a broad audience, including many who watch the events unfold live on TV as rioters storm the Capitol. 
What do you think of that, folks? What do you think of that? And one other point that I'll get to after the break. According to Axios, which is a left-wing site, of course, Scoop, blockbuster witness for January 6th hearings, writes Sophia K. Blockbuster witness. I'll tell you who that is when we return. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So the leaking continues, utterly unethical and unprofessional, but nobody cares. Axios, one of the main recipients of the leaks. Blockbuster witness for January 6th hearings, who would that be? Most of you never heard of the gentleman. I know him extremely well, although I haven't talked to him in years. J. Michael Ludig, a former federal judge and lawyer who advised former Vice President Mike Pence, is expected to testify in the January 6th Select Committee's public hearings this month, Axios has learned. The committee, which has until now been interviewing witnesses behind closed doors, revealed little about its plans for the public hearing set to begin next week. The desire to showcase Ludig, a judge lionized within the conservative legal movement, matches what sources have described as the committee's strategy to reach as broad an audience as possible, including conservatives. He was a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. And apparently he was, behind the scenes, a key advisor to Vice President Pence on what he could and couldn't do as the president of the Senate when it came to the counting of electors. Now... Ludig was hated and detested by the Democrats, hated and detested by Biden and the others. He was often thought of as a possible nominee to the United States Supreme Court. But it was also thought an impossible task to get him confirmed because of the Democrats. So according to this article, I have known nothing firsthand, just what I read. He will be their key witness to say that the election was fair and square, that the arguments that the Trump lawyers came up with were nonsense, and that Pence could do absolutely nothing. And in April, obviously, he wrote a piece in CNN op-ed, 
was always and only about an election that Trump lost fair and square under legislatively promulgated election rules in a handful of swing states that he and other Republicans contend were unlawfully changed. Now, this is not the only area, but a major area where Mr. Luding and I would have a significant disagreement. Is he absolutely unaware of what the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania did? Is he absolutely unaware of what the governor of Pennsylvania did? Is he absolutely unaware of what the Board of Elections did? That this is why Sam Alito, among others, wanted to take that case up? I mean, to say something like this demonstrates a complete lack of knowledge about what was taking place. Or just a cave. Just a cave. The legislature of Pennsylvania did not change the laws that he's talking about. In one instance, it changed those laws in violation of its own constitution. Which it also is not free to do. Two major cases brought to the Supreme Court where it appears two or three justices wanted to take it up, but the others did not. That's number one. Number two. I've spoken openly here about what I think the power of the vice president is and isn't. During that period of time, I explained what I felt. The more I studied it, the more it became clear to me. And I've explained this to millions and millions of you. In recent months, even. The more it became clear to me well after the election, well after uh, the inauguration of Biden, but it became clear to me that the Constitution says nothing about it. That it's utterly and completely ambiguous. And that despite the best efforts, apparently of Ludig among them, to take the statute, the Electoral Count Act of 1887, and to try and use that as a definitive legal statement of that Congress in 1887. It's not the Constitution, but that Congress in 1887 to indicate that the President of the Senate, that is Pence, could do nothing is also not clear at all. Now those are the facts. Let the chips fall where they may. Those are the facts. I'll be right back. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, 
L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. He's driving the media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. Approximately four months ago, I was almost right to the day, wasn't I, Mr. Producer? On this program in front of, I guess, 14 million or so people on all platforms. Hour one, segment three. It's right up there on MarkLevinShow.com. Four months ago, I said the following. On March 8th, 1802, just days after Thomas Jefferson's followers, the Republicans took control of both houses of Congress because Jefferson had won the presidency. Congress repealed the Judiciary Act of 1801 on April 29, 1892. Excuse me, uh... 1802, Congress enacted the Judiciary Act of 1802, which, among other things, abolished the six new judgeships created by President Adams and his Federalist Party. This is important, folks, so stick with me. Because of the delay between the election, Jefferson's inauguration in 1883, Marbury v. Madison decision, the Supreme Court determined it had the power to decide cases about the constitutionality of of congressional and executive actions. And when it deemed they violated the Constitution, overturned them. The shorthand label given to this court-made authority is judicial review. This, quite literally, is the foundation for the runaway power exercised today by the federal courts. To this day, what is far less recognized is that Marbury started out as anything but the ominous precedent it has become, was a brilliantly conceived political strategy crafted by John Marshall, a master politician. Marshall, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, wrote the decision not to set a revolutionary precedent, but to deny the new president, Thomas Jefferson, his longtime political rival out of Virginia, an opportunity to rebuff a Supreme Court controlled by Jefferson's Federalist opponents. This is my take based on my reading of history. Marbury was precipitated by the election of 1800 in which Jefferson, the incumbent vice president, the leader of the Republicans, ran for president against the incumbent president, John Adams, leader of the Federalists. The Federalists controlled both houses of Congress but were torn between the followers of Adams and Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton's faction withheld its support for Adams' re-elections bid in 1800, and the race ended in an electoral college tie between Jefferson and his vice presidential running mate, Aaron Burr. This is what brought us to the 12th Amendment, by the way. Adams came in third. The election was then thrown into the House of Representatives. Realizing it would not, he would not, not win re-election, Adams moved to solidify his party's influence on the federal government. So what, what Adams did is he created 16 new federal judgeships, circuit judges. It was part of his strategy. Just prior to leaving office, Adams selected in the Federalist-controlled lame duck Senate confirmed nominees to fill the posts. Adams, his, his time ran out, however, before John Marshall, 
was then Secretary of State could actually deliver the commissions of office to some of the designees. So here you have John Marshall, Secretary of State, ruling on a case that involved him. There's no way Marshall should have even been involved in the decision, as I explained in Men in Black. It's a conflict of interest. He had a conflict of interest. He was the Secretary of State who would deliver the commissions for his president and his party. That Marshall's successor as Secretary of State, James Madison, refused to deliver the commissions as Jefferson's Secretary of State in a Jefferson's direction. William Arbery, among others, filed suit in federal court seeking an order, a writ of mandamus, directing Madison to deliver him his judgeship as justice of the peace. Marshall, long a rival of Jefferson in Virginia politics, was one of the most articulate leaders in the Federalist Party. Marshall had served in the Virginia State House and the U.S. House of Representatives, one of Adams's representatives to France, 1797, and then, of course, Secretary of State. He was nominated to be Chief Justice by Adams and assumed the post on February 4. He won exactly one month before Adams' term ended. So uh, he was appointed and confirmed quickly after Jefferson had won the presidency. With the Republican majority elected to both houses in Congress in 1800, Marshall realized that Jefferson and the Republicans could denude the Supreme Court of authority and that he, as Chief Justice, would be impeached and removed from office given the way he was appointed. And this is me speaking. Marshall understood that in Marbury's case, if he ordered Secretary of State Madison to deliver Marbury's commission, his judgeship, Jefferson would order Madison to ignore the Supreme Court's writ, and the court's authority would be seriously weakened. Marshall was also concerned that he'd not be seen as protecting the interests of the Federalist jurists, like Marbury, who had uh, a short, who had assumed their, his position as a justice of the peace, and had been hearing cases and issuing judgments. Bearing on all this, Chief Justice Marshall's decision in Marbury, while upsetting the Constitution's balance of power and the relationship between the federal government and the states, enormously empowering the courts, was a master political stroke. Marshall stated that Marbury, consistent with legal doctrine at the time, had something akin to a property right to his judgeship, to which he had been nominated and confirmed. Marshall also said the federal judiciary should be able to issue an order directing the appointment of uh, Marbury, but because the Constitution did not enumerate such an original right for the Supreme Court, the court was powerless to do it. That Marshall went beyond the specific issues in the case, you know, he could have ended it right there, but he said that the court had a responsibility to set aside acts of Congress that violate principles enumerated in the Constitution. And I don't have time to read exactly what he wrote, but it's there. Marshall's Federalist Party lost the presidency and Congress, but Marshall was determined to fight back. And so the doctrine of judicial review was born. 
The Constitution is indeed the supreme law of the land, but now the court, by its own fiat, would decide what is or is not constitutional. Constitutional structure, including the balance of power between the three branches, was now disturbed, if not broken. Although Jefferson is claimed as the father of the Democrat Party, he was a leading opponent of judicial activism. After Marbury, he became an even more vocal critic of what he viewed as the overreaching of the judiciary under Marshall's leadership. To Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife, Jefferson wrote a letter after Marbury, quote, the Constitution meant that its core branches should be checks on each other, but the opinion which gives to the judges the right to decide what laws are constitutional, what not only for themselves and in their own sphere of action, but for the legislature and the executive, also in their spheres, would make the judiciary a despotic branch, he wrote. And it goes on. The Constitution would not have been ratified, folks, would not have enough votes to ratify in the nine nine states, if the assumption of judicial review under Marshall had been explicitly stated in the Constitution itself. There's no way. Now, what does this have to do with January 6th? The Constitution explicitly states that Article 2, Section 1, the second paragraph, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. This was understood by the states to mean that the legislatures, only the legislatures, would have the authority to make the determination on how they were selected. Very rarely in the Constitution did the framers reach out and specify a branch within the states. But here it did just that. The legislature, not the governor, not a state court, not a board of elections, not the federal court, not Congress, the legislature decides. The United States Supreme Court in 2020, with all this judicial review, power to reach into every cultural issue in the country, every classroom in the country without limit, other than its own limitations that it might impose, and rarely on itself, had this requirement to ensure that the black letter law, the text of the Constitution, was upheld. And this language is far from confusing, it is explicit not confounding. It is, a cle- it is as clear as night and day. This is everything I said four months ago, almost to the day. And it was clearly violated in the 2020 election in one state after another, purposely, by Democrats and the Democrat Party, by individuals who they hired, hitmen, legislators, Lawyers like Mark Elias and others who went around the Republican state legislatures in Republican states, including Republican states with Republican executives, or even irrelevant to this process, except under law, which I'll get to in a moment, as defined by the Constitution. The Supreme Court failed to act, and I might add here a footnote, it acted in 2000, when the state Supreme Court was going around the the election laws put in place by the state legislatures in Bush versus Gore. And in fact, the court even mentions this. But we had a different Chief Justice, William Rehnquist, not John Roberts.
claiming judicial review in the past for the last 200 years and some years, but in this case it shows, it chose to duck. That sent the matter to the United States Congress to decide. And so what they do, I wrote, at National Review and elsewhere, not just picking on them, they go to the Electoral College, uh, the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which is a very complex and convoluted law. And, uh, in fact, it's contradicting law in many respects. Under the 12th Amendment of the Constitution, the Vice President, who is the President of the Senate, undertakes the task of opening the electoral, uh, let's see here, just skip, the electoral certificates. The Vice President's role is limited. Now both houses can overrule the Vice President's decision to include or exclude votes. The Vice President's role to include or exclude votes can be overruled by both houses. But if there's a tie, say, between the House of of a state and a Senate of a state, the governor's certification trumps, according to the statute. According to the statute, decisions have been made by vice presidents serving as president of the Senate with respect to the electoral count, 1960, when Richard Nixon served that role. He allowed late final votes to count even though they were against him. 69, Hubert Humphrey, having run for president, I guess 68, decided he better recuse himself from the count, which is what he did. There have been challenges, really, uh, since the beginning of our country to elections of presidents and vice presidents. I mean, why did they have to pass the 1887 Act in the first place? Because of the great battle in 1876, that's why. Where, where does Congress have the authority to pass a law like this? Does it have the authority to pass a law like this? While setting procedures for the counting, do they have the power to exclude the vice president as president of the Senate to have any effective role other than as secretary or administrator, opening envelopes and making pronouncements about what he's received? What if you're president of the Senate, you're vice president, the United States, and you know there's disputes in the states? You know there's a constitutional dispute in a state like Pennsylvania. And you, as the President of the Senate and Vice President of the United States, you have an oath to uphold the Constitution. And you read that second paragraph. Under Article 2, Section 1, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. Full stop. As the legislature thereof may direct. And you know, as a matter of fact, that is not only in dispute in that state, but it didn't occur. And then you have people arguing, but the electors, they were selected and sent to the archivist of the United States by the governor. And yet it's the legislature that's challenging the governor. The vice president of the United States does not have any explicit power under the Constitution to do anything. In fact, we look at the 1887 statute in the way that we interpret is that his role is utterly ministerial. You mean like judicial review? Where's judicial review in the Constitution? Well, somebody has to make the final decision. Well, where's the president of the Senate's role? If he or she now knows or believes that some, the Constitution may have been violated, what does the vice president do? Nothing. And so my conclusion after more thought and research was, we don't know, it's ambiguous. 
And so if the effort of the January 6th committee is to use words from me or others in the past that say the vice president's role is simply ministerial, we have no idea if that's correct. None. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So why, apart from this, why did they put Peter Navarro in handcuffs as he was getting on a plane at Reagan National Airport? bring him into the courthouse and then put him in leg irons and put him in a jail cell for a hearing. Why does a judge tolerate that kind of a treat, that kind of abuse? And why do we have to talk about this over and over and over again with SWAT teams and other circumstances that take place? Really, it's quite appalling, isn't it? Indicted for contempt of Congress. Two people in the Trump circle. Indicted for contempt of Congress. Now my question is, when and if the Republicans take control of the House, and if they demand to actually know what happened on January 6th in terms of securing the Capitol building, and they subpoena Nancy Pelosi and leak those subpoenas to the public, to the press before telling her and they demand that she provide testimony in secret under oath and all her records and she doesn't provide them you think this justice department would indict her this segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by pure talk pure talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. A remarkable event just occurred in the Republican primary for the Senate in Pennsylvania. 
David McCormick has just conceded to uh, Dr. Oz. Now, I want to say something about this. I endorsed neither candidate, and I oppose neither candidate. But I believe by doing this, which is quite honorable, David McCormick will have a, an extraordinarily strong and bright future in the Republican Party in Pennsylvania. I truly believe that. He got some bad advice from his lawyer, Chuck Cooper, who wanted to litigate this matter as if it was uh, Al Gore in 2000 and create a scenario in which the Democrats would benefit from the change in the law that Cooper and his colleagues had uh, concocted which is exactly why the Democrat Secretary of State supported it, which was to count ballots submitted in envelopes that were signed but not hand-dated. The liberal Third Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with Cooper, but Sam Alito put it on a hold as the justice overseeing the Third Circuit for a potential review by the United States Supreme Court to see if they had four votes to take the matter up. And in the meantime, I think Dave McCormick, who's a very sober, intelligent, charismatic, solid, patriotic citizen, decided, no, we're not going to do this. And so they just put out a statement that McCormick has conceded to Dr. Oz, I understand that he will fully back Dr. Oz, as will we. And I want to salute Dave. He's a very, very good guy, very nice man. And he's got a tremendous future ahead of him. In the meantime, we need to win that seat. This mass murder in Texas occurred May 24th. I do a lot of soul-searching, a lot of thinking. When horrific tragedies occur before I speak to you. And we spoke the entire three hours of the first program after that. About what took place. As we spent a lot of time on Buffalo too and the others. But it was obvious to me here the problem was... A number of things, but among other things, what's been done to our culture and the people who've done it to our culture. And I made it abundantly clear that this is why the American Marxists and the Democrat Party at all would never come up with workable solutions because it means really taking a look at our culture and making decisions. But the people who've created have created cultural rot, have no intention of helping to fix it. This was, of course, mocked and attacked by Media Matters. It spread throughout the Internet and on many of our television sh shows on Fox, which mostly supported my position and had me on here and there to talk about it. And it is a position now you see spreading throughout 
conservative think tanks, conservative media hosts who have embraced this point. Because that's the point. And I even want to put a fine point on this for you. The reason we are where we are, the reason the culture is where it is, is for the reasons I wrote about in American Marxism and Ameritopia. And I went back and looked. Our ruling class, I don't like calling them elites. Self-appointed elitists, yes. But our ruling class is extremely hostile to our founding principles. Incompetent, does not share our values, and power hungry. There's not a ruling class that seeks to improve the lot of the country, to spread the word of Americanism. It is a ruling class that is a very dangerous entity. In American Marxism, on the 10th page, I cite Ted McAllister, because I thought in an essay he wrote, he was quite articulate about it. He's professor of public policy at Pepperdine. And he wrote an essay a year ago. He said, today we have a very different elite than America did as recently as the 1980s in terms of their nature, goals, ambition, style, and ways of exercising power. The deepest fact of our time is that America has had a bad elite, a mendacious one, whose skills, values, goals, tastes, and types of knowledge are hostile to our nation's inherited cultures and plural people. The new elite that has emerged in the last generation or two has no interest in preserving anything but perhaps their own power. They have historical knowledge and vision which they supplant, excuse me, they lack historical knowledge and vision which they supplant or exchange for the powers of transformation and change. Intoxicated by the power possible with emerging technologies, inspired by visions that only a globalist perspective could make attractive, this elite thinks of creative destruction as applied to culture. As winners in what they imagine to be a meritocracy, a struggle, they can see nothing of an inherited world worth preserving for their very success. The peculiar characteristics of the revolving power have given to our new elite the soul of adolescent art applied to a global canvas. They lack any experiential or historical ballast to weigh them down, to slow them in remaking everything according to their desires. For them, streamlining power is key to creation, and the annoying obstacles to their new creation are not really checks to prevent tyranny, but rather limitations. Unnecessary friction in the headlong rush to transformation. That's why you see they hate free speech. For this new elite, for instance, the good of free speech has become invisible because for them, free speech is simply friction, resistance to their goals, the elimination of hate speech and the goal. That's the goal. The unimpeachable good that the openness of free speech prevents. 
In half a generation, the work of centuries is undone and the levers of tyranny put in place. Doesn't that ring true? Why am I talking about this? I hope you'll watch Sunday's show. Life, Liberty, and Live In, 8 p.m. Eastern. If you can't watch it live, you can always DVR the program. And it's wise to set it as soon as you can, so you don't forget. It's probably, in my personal view, the most important, if not compelling, opening statement of my program in its five years. It's very, very important. Let me put it to you this way, in a, in a brief way. What happened at Uvalde, Texas, was a horrific failure on the part of that local school district police department to defend its children. The chief slash commander not only made a grave error, I think there was a significant amount of cowardice. That's just my opinion. We've also left it to educational bureaucrats and school boards, obsessed in too many cases with destroying the minds of your children and the bodies of your children, but not taking the steps to protect these facilities. Even when Joe Biden gave his his speech, 17 minutes last night, not once did he mention protecting the building, not once. We turned to the same people for answers, the ruling class. All day, all night, all week, there they are on TV, the politicians, the political analysts, the consultants telling us what we need to do. Well, they're in charge. And they've been in charge. I have no control over what my local school district is doing right now. But Joe Biden said nothing about protecting the building. And he says, for God's sake, it's time to do something. We're not doing anything. But that's a lie. In several states, they've done a lot including in the state of Florida, as Andrew Pollack explained. Armed, trained guards, police. Hardening the buildings and so forth. It won't be perfect, but it'll be better than what existed before. Meanwhile, New York passed a red flag law. New York has extremely tight gun control laws. And the white supremacist goes to Buffalo and slaughters 10 black people. In spite of it. The ruling class runs the internet. The killer in Buffalo was all over the internet. The killer in Texas, as it turns out, was all over the internet. What happened? The killer in Buffalo went into a hospital. Compelled. Went into a hospital. For 36 hours, they let him out. 
What broke down? The American citizen, the law-abiding citizen who has a weapon? The economy's been turned inside out. Not by we the people, but by them, the ruling class. They went to war with energy, and they won. Energy prices are shooting up, and there's no stopping in sight. They spent trillions of dollars like never before in world history. And they created inflation. The logical effect of printing that kind of money irresponsibly and rewarding your friends, your political supporters, institutions that you're friendly with. And now you're paying the price. You're paying the price for that bill. The border's wide open. God knows who's coming across. We know fentanyl's coming across. Drug cartels are coming across. Sex trafficking taking place on the border. Who's in charge of the border? The ruling class. How are they doing? It's just your fault because you believe in replacement theory. Got it? You understand? We could whip this virus, but the people won't go along. They've lost their jobs, they've lost their businesses, they've lost their freedom, they wear masks, they get shots. But still, there's just not enough mask wearing, there's not enough shots. There's not enough hunkering down. They tell us. Shutting down the private sector is righteous. Expanding the government is righteous. Slowing down the government means you're a hater. No doubt a racist. The ruling class. Oh, they have an answer. Attack the Second Amendment as if that'll fix anything. Oh, they have an answer. Attack the First Amendment. Just be quiet when you're being told what to do. Don't you get it? Barack Obama said you're killing people. Attack Article 2. When you want to destroy our election system and find a conservative judge or Ludwig, or whomever, to testify about January 6th, as if Article 2 doesn't even exist in the Constitution. Or the January 6th committee. Well, the Iranians are building nuclear weapons and are about to break out. They're at ground zero now. You're going to be distracted with a show. And you're going to be told this is the greatest threat to our country ever. And then we'll criminalize it. We'll criminalize parents going to school board meetings. We'll criminalize the Trump presidency. The ruling class, the media. When do we ever get the truth from the media? Two and a half years of Russia collusion. Now this spectacle that they're going to have starting 8 p.m. on Thursday. One spectacle after another. The failure is a failure of leadership in every one of these areas. It's the ruling class. And you're blamed for it. You have to be punished for it. You have to lose more liberty. You have to lose more resources because they cannot be wrong. They're driven by ideology. I wrote all about this in the first chapter of Ameritopia. 
all about it. Ten years ago. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Let's explore this a little further. Since you're not going to hear this anywhere else, that's for sure. We hear about this word equality or equity. Meritopia, the unmaking of America. It's probably the second most difficult book that I've written after rediscovering Americanism. Equality is understood by the American founders is the natural right of every individual to live freely under self-government. To acquire and retain the property he creates through his own labor and to be treated impartially before just law. And equality should not be confused with perfection, for man is also imperfect, making his application of equality even in the most just society imperfect. Otherwise, inequality is the natural state of man, in the sense that each individual is born unique in all his human characteristics. Therefore, equality and inequality, properly comprehended, are both engines of liberty. Now, I want to pursue this with you. The unique thing about you and the audience is you are innately smart. You know that we're looking into the abyss, and we both are looking for answers together. So stick with me. More to come. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. 
Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Now, you'll notice the ruling class basically view themselves as masterminds. And they try to create the impression of a utopian future. That, of course, is an impossibility. It's never existed and never will, not on the planet Earth anyway. And this is very, very important to understand when you listen to Biden, when you listen to people who just go on TV and tell you what to know and think. The mastermind is served by an enthusiastic intelligentsia, or so-called experts, professionally engaged in developing and spreading utopian fantasies. Although there are conspicuous exceptions, longtime Harvard professor and political theoretician Harvey Mansfield explained that modern intellectuals have monumental impatience with human complexity and imperfection. They believe that politics is a temporary necessity until the rational solution is put in place. Now, of course, the rational solutions are not rational at all. As I wrote, well, intellectuals are obviously smart. They're not smart enough to have conquered the social sciences and use them to rejigger society. They are posers to knowledge. They do not and cannot possess. Meanwhile, intellectuals are immune from the impracticability and consequences of their blueprints, for they rarely present themselves for public office. Instead, they seek to influence those who do. They legislate without accountability. Joseph, Joseph Schumpeter, a prominent economics professor and political scientist of the past, brilliant man, was a harsh critic of intellectuals. He wrote, Intellectuals rarely enter professional politics and still more rarely conquer responsible office. But they staff political bureaus, write party pamphlets and speeches, act as secretaries and advisors, make the politicians' reputation. In doing these things, they impress their mentality on almost everything that is being done. Quote, unquote. Now, For the rest, transforming society, as I write, becomes a struggle between the utopia and self-determination and self-preservation, since the individual must acquiesce to centralized decision-making. Think about it. What is gun control all about? Apart from brute force, the mastermind has in his arsenal weapons that provides him with a predominant advantage, the law. Frederick Bastiat explained that When the law has exceeded its proper functions, it is not done so merely in some inconsequential and debatable matters. The law has gone further than this. It has acted in direct opposition to its own proper purpose. The law has been used to destroy its own objective. It has been applied to annihilating the justice that it was supposed to maintain, to limiting and destroying rights, which its real appeal was to respect. The law has placed the collective force at the disposal of the unscrupulous, who wish without risk to exploit the person, liberty, and property of others. It has converted plunder into a right, in order to protect plunder. 
and has converted lawful defense into a crime in order to punish lawful defense. And I write, when the law is used in this way, the few plunder the many, the many plunder the few, and everyone plunders everyone, making utopia unsustainable and ultimately inhumane. Centralizing and consolidating authority is required to replace dispersed decision-making with a command and control structure, the purpose of which is to coerce behavior in pursuit of a fantasy, a dogmatic cause, or a false religion. That is not to say that knowledge and information from outside the central authority go without notice. Rather, it is collected in a self-serving, haphazard, an incomplete way to tinker and adjust, to torment and control, but never as a means to fundamentally challenge assumptions, reconsider policies, or disprove the utopian ends. How could it? Since utopianism rejects rationality and empiricism from the outset, it repudiates experience. It is said to be new, different, better, and bigger. As I point out later in the book, utopianism would be, in effect, Marxism. Marxism. Now, the mastermind, so-called, relies on uniform standards born of insufficient knowledge and information. Does this not apply to what's going on today? Inflation, baby formula, on and on, which are crafted from his own predilections, values, stereotypes, experiences, idiosyncrasies, desires, prejudices, and of course, fantasy. The imposition of these standards may, in the short term, benefit some or perhaps many. But over time, the misery and corrosiveness from their full effects spread through the whole of society. Although the mastermind's incompetence and vision plagued the society, responsibility must be diverted elsewhere. To those assigned to carry them out, or to the people's lack of sacrifice, or to the enemies of the state who have conspired to thwart the utopian cause. <coughs> this is the guts of it. For the mastermind is inextricably linked to the fantasy. If he's fallible, then who's to usher in paradise? If his judgment and wisdom are in doubt, then the entire venture might invite scrutiny. This leads to grander and bolder social experiments, requiring further coercion. What went before is said to have been piecemeal and therefore inadequate. The steps necessary to achieve true utopianism have yet to be tried, they claim. Those three or four sentences are the, are the nut of it. Although the mastermind's incompetence and vision plagued the society, inflation, food shortages, energy prices, now gun control, whatever it is, responsibility must be delivered elsewhere. You hear Biden do this every single day. To those assigned to carry them out, or the people's lack of sacrifice, you, or to the enemies of the state, the oil companies, big meat, wealthy people, who have conspired, they say, to thwart the utopian cause. For the mastermind is inextricably linked to the fantasy. This is what I mean. 
when I say they can't fix what they broke. They're just going to go further. If he is fallible, then who is to usher in paradise? If his judgment and wisdom are in doubt, then the entire venture might invite scrutiny. This leads to grander and bolder social experiments, requiring further coercion. That book was written 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago. These books will far outlast what I do on radio or TV or anywhere else, I believe. I refer to them myself, and sometimes I hear people say things or write things. They say, wait a minute. I said that 10 years ago. Not to pat myself on the head, just to make sure that I'm accurate about what I'd written. But it's true. And so you hear people today in their own words saying the same thing. About the culture. About the elites. That is the ruling class. And so I spent a lot of time on Sunday's show, Life, Liberty, and Levin, in the opening statement, getting into this in a, in a different kind of way during the course of the program. Because you never know who's, listen, know who's listening here or watching there. And I think this is very, very important to understand. Very important. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Stop paying for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile social initiatives. Stop paying for their thousands of retail stores across the country that you never go to. Stop paying for their added perks that you never use. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you excellent 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys. For half the cost, the average family saving over $800 a year. Now, I made the switch, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get great deals on a new phone, like a Samsung Galaxy 5G for less than $2 a month. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. Or choose unlimited data, and you'll still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Unfortunately, the show is flying by. And again, I need my fourth hour. People in New York are clamoring for it, but all over the country, of course. Having talked to you about the ruling class and what a disaster they are, having written about it, you're experiencing it. This is why we believe in limited government. This is why we believe in individual liberty. This is why we embrace free markets and capitalism. This is why we believe as we do and embrace what we do. And we're up against it. We're up against it. Investors may be in for a rude surprise. History shows inflation can take years to return to normal even when Fed hikes the rates above 10%. This is market watch. 
There are aspects of the historical pattern that are very relevant, namely that inflation took a number of years to develop, kept growing, receded, and then came back and was hard to get rid of, says Mace McCain of Frost Investment Advisors. History can be a powerful tool, particularly in a high inflation environment like this one, which no suitable economic model seems to apply. Inflation running at 8.3% as of April. That's a 40-year high has stayed stubbornly persistent for a full year to the surprise of virtually everyone who tracks it. Really? Really, Mr. Producer? Everyone who tracks it? Didn't we talk about this 14 months ago? Now there's a risk that price gains could take much longer than expected to fall back down, even when the Federal Reserve is aggressively hiking interest rates. What are they saying? Let me interpret. Inflation's going to continue to go up. Prices are going to continue to go up. And the value of your paycheck and pension are going to continue to go down. That is, the gap between the rises and what you earn will grow because the prices are going to keep going up and the value of the currency is going to continue to be diminished. This is the tax that Biden and the Democrats have put on the entirety of the American people, regardless of what so-called economic class you're in, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background. This is a massive tax that you never voted for. That risk was highlighted by Bank of America security strategist Vadim Irilov. Howard Dew and others who point to the period between 1974 and 1988 as the most comparable time, which the annual headline U.S. Consumer Price Index was rising at a pace similar to the U.S. pandemic era of 2019 to 2022. 1980, with the Fed's main policy rate target already above 10% for most of that year, the annual headline CPI, Consumer Price Index, also in double digits, still did not fall back below 3% after three years, even on the back of unprecedented rate hikes enacted by Federal Chair Paul Volcker. The fact of the matter is that Biden and Democrat Party have let the inflation tiger out of the cage, and nobody's certain how to put it back. We had low interest rates for far too long. Basically, they were subsidizing absolutely reckless fiscal policy. Especially in the last 18 months. When you take that and put it on top of the anti-growth, anti-capitalism, anti-energy policies of this administration... You have a disaster. And I want to repeat one more time. We are in a recession. I don't care what any of the so-called experts and masterminds say. You are experiencing a recession right now. The question is, are we going to be able to keep this from falling into a depression? Hey folks, remember I said if you know how to do something to stop American Marxism, you really should get involved. Well, I want to tell you about Jeff Bermont, a real American who really heard me. 
turns out he's just as sick as I am of seeing big tech censoring right media and promoting liberal bias on the Internet. So what's he doing about it? Having built web browsers for over a decade, Jeff took his own money and built the first of its kind free speech browser called Tusk. Like Rumble and Truth Social, Tusk is built by conservatives for conservatives. Get Tusk for your phone, tablet, and computer. And I'll tell you, there's nothing better. I love the browsing experience and anti-censorship news feed so I can see the stories that matter. Tusk is free. Get it now at TuskBrowser.com. That's T-U-S-K Browser.com. And see what difference free speech can make. If you hate censorship like I do, I know you're going to love Tusk. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know, I mentioned this actually a couple months ago now, this... Russian invasion occurred 100 days ago today. Oddly enough, Joe Biden keeps blaming Putin for the increase in energy costs and the Putinoids in this country, particularly in the media, they keep blaming Putin for the increase too. And of course, they're bone, they're both boneheaded stupid about it. Putin didn't create an energy shortage in America. The Democrat Party and Biden created the energy problem in America. He's creating what will be more brownouts and blackouts across the country when it comes to electricity. He's created what will be shortages. I've been telling you this from the beginning. They haven't been telling you this on CNBC. They haven't been telling you this on any of the other so-called business shows that I can think of. I don't watch them all, but I've been telling you this forever. Why? It's common sense. History is a big guide, even economic history. And so is logic. 
you know, some time ago I found some kind of IQ test, I don't know, that the public schools did. I think I was in first or second grade, Mr. Producer. And they, even back then, they were looking at areas of strength and weakness. I guess to assign you to different classes and so forth. Can't do that today, obviously. Everybody's treated as stupid. Uh, But in any event. And I don't remember, you know, the, the, the numbers for like mathematics and this, that, or the other, arithmetic or whatever they call it. But when it came to reasoning... I was in the one-tenth of one percent of the top percentile. I, I was a kid. I was a little kid. That's where apparently I excelled. Now, this isn't bragging. I don't control over it. It took some tests. I don't know what the hell I was doing. As far as I know, I flunked everything else. I'm just saying. As far as I know, I don't know. Reasoning. That's what it's about. Reasoning. If you print trillions and trillions of dollars in paper money, not backed up by gold or silver or anything else, you get what we call inflation. There's something called supply and demand. If there is demand for a product, but the supply is limited, like gasoline or oil that we now need to import, you get price increases. You get price increases and inflation. You make people and a country poorer. Particularly the poorest among us. Driving today is something you need to think hard about. Because of the cost. That's what the Democrats wanted. That's what they have. Let me put it to you in a very simple way. The Democrats have won the war on energy independence. They won. They won the war on cheap and affordable fossil fuels. They won. So behind the scenes, in the shadows, late at night, they're cheering each other, they're chuckling, because they hate your guts, just so you know. And... You're paying through the, through the nose. But they must, remember what I just read out of Ameritopia, they must blame something else. They must blame something else. Or you may react to them in a way that they don't like, like at the polls and so forth. So it's Putin. Putin did it. Meanwhile, the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the media and even the Democrat Party while saying they don't support Putin, have made it abundantly clear in every day, every day, that they do support Putin. They are the weak underbelly in this country. So you won't hear them talk about the Putinoids with their hemorrhoids between their ears. You won't hear them talk about what Russia's been doing to Ukraine lately. Washington Compost, Kiev, Ukraine. Ukraine forces locked in a grinding battle for control of the country's east, struggled to hold off Russian troops and buy themselves some time 
yesterday while they await the arrival of the advanced rockets and anti-aircraft weapons promised by the West. Now, I want to thank the Brits who've been really at the front of this. I want to thank many of the once-captured nations in Eastern Europe, our closest allies in Europe, actually, like the Poles and so forth. I want to thank the tiny little Balkan states. Finland, I want to thank even these formerly neutral states. They see what's taking place. And now finally we've said, hey, you know what? And the problem is you get these these medium-range rockets now with the pinpoint precision and the good artillery. It takes weeks to get them in the field and get them where they need to be and train these guys to do this. Weeks. So when they wait, this is what happens. And so uh, we're not at war with Russia. Russia is at war with Europe. Russia is at war with Europe, all of Europe. Now we play this game that they're not, that they're just fighting the Ukrainians, but why do you think these European countries, even the Germans, under a fairly radical left-wing chancellor, is increasing its military spending, is going to support NATO beyond the minimum required, and is building up its military. Even the Germans. So, it's just a weird thing to hear the Putinoids and Biden speak the same language. We have massive economic problems now that are going to get worse. It's baby formula, it's meat, it's the processing of meat. It's all foods. The, the planting season has seen a 20% reduction across the board in planting. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means you're going to have a lot less t- that's harvested. We keep talking about this. What are they doing about it? Nothing. They keep saying we need to transition further, and I keep transition to what? To what? What exactly? Windmills? Solar? What are they talking about? Transition to what exactly? They shut down the nuclear power business, that is, new nuclear uh, uh, sites. They've undone so many hydroelectric plants. They've shut down coal mines. Where the hell do they think electricity comes from? Where does electricity come from? Anybody know? Nuclear, coal, oil, hydroelectric plants. But they don't support any of those. The masterminds, remember? With their experts, remember? Take responsibility for nothing, remember? It's the fault of the people they regulate. It's the fault of the people they tax. Ultimately, it's your fault. You see, your home's too big. You got too many cars. The cars you have are gas guzzlers. It's going to be you. Your fault. We've told the American people. Use less fuel. It's like masks. We told the American people, wear masks. We told the American get it, people, get a booster. It's coming. The lines at the gas stations are coming, even and odd, or whatever the hell they're going to do. Why do you think they want now these chips? 
in your car so they can see how many miles you drive. Remember that push? Certain states. But it's something they've been pushing at the federal level too. The ruling class, the failed, incompetent ruling class. The power-hungry, narcissistic ruling class that doesn't believe in what we believe in. That does not believe in what we believe in. Let's circle back here to gun control. Let me ask you a question. If they were able to outlaw and confiscate certain types of rifles, and we know that won't do the trick that they think it'll do, you think they're going to stop there? When over 70% of murders that take place in this country are done with handguns? You think they're going to stop there? That's just an appetizer. Have you ever known the federal government or these ruling class American Marxists, have you ever known them to, put the, to hit the brakes? Where? When? How? And as I keep saying and as I've written... Do you really believe they're going to be circumspect about their policies? No. They double, triple, quadruple down. That's what they do. This Ukraine needs as much support as it should get, and it should be getting it from us. I'm not going to allow the Putinoids to intimidate. I'm not going to allow them to bully, to silence. They sound like the left-wing hordes that they pretend to oppose. And yet, they root for the wrong people. They root for the wrong people. China's next. Iran's next. North Korea. This is a true access. These countries. I remember the days when China couldn't get a rocket off the ground. Remember that? During the Clinton administration. And one of those rockets crashed. And the Chinese got a hold of technology from one of our great military contractors. Stole it. And that was the beginning. There were big donors to Clinton. Remember that? Clinton and his administration let certain technologies go to the communist Chinese. Anybody remember this? I remember the days the North Koreans didn't have missiles. Couldn't get them off the ground. And Democrat and Republican administrations, especially George H.W. Bush and Clinton and others, they tried to buy peace, giving them food, giving them money. Went to their war machine. Went to their scientists. Went to stealing information, buying it from the Iranians, and on and on and on. (coughs) Now they have nuclear missiles. It's just, oh, ho-hum. Ho-hum. Iran is next. Iran is a ground zero now. It's a breakout. It's one of the things I'm going to talk about at great length on Sunday. It's now a ground zero. In other words, it's not a matter of if or when. It's a matter of now. Right now. By Mr. Gun Control. I'll be right back. 
Mat Lopin. Once again, the increase in prices, inflation, and gasoline have nothing to do with the horrendous war machine, such as it is, that Russia has used against the innocent people of Ukraine. Just to remind you, March 5th, 2021, nearly 14 months ago to the day, this is what I said. Go. The Democrat Party's dragging us over the cliff. They're hollowing out our economy. After half a century trying to be energy independent, we're finally energy independent. And they are destroying the basis for energy independence. So energy prices are starting to go up now. And by the way, the pressure on inflation has already started. Today. Today, it started. Mm-hmm. U.S. inflation expectations hit decades high as yields resurge. Bloomberg, U.S. Treasuries, tumbled anew on Wednesday, driving long maturity yields to their highest levels this week, pushing up inflation expectations. Inflation is on the horizon. So to quote Joe Biden, four letters... B-I-D-E-N. Biden. Do not believe the Putinoids and do not believe Biden. Biden and his party are responsible. The ruling class is responsible. Some positives. Ron DeSantis at a press conference today. It's a fantastic governor. A decent human being. Just terrific. And the same people, for the most part, who hate Trump in the media, in the Republican Party, and the rest hate him. Just so you know. Cut 11, go. There's a fella by the name of Brandon that people talk about (laughs) that we have to contend with. And I see this news report where Biden is so frustrated that his approval ratings are in the toilet. He, he can't understand. He's lashing out at his staff. He's blaming other people. He's blaming the media, even though he gets the most sycophantic media coverage that any president has ever gotten, compared how they treat, treated Trump to how they treat Biden. It's night and day. And so he's, he's trying to make excuses. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, what has he done since he came into office? He immediately, immediately waged war against American energy production. You see record gas prices in the United States? Well, that's a big reason why, because of his policies. You look at what they did in terms of fiscal and monetary, printing and borrowing trillions and trillions of dollars. What did you get for that? The most sustained inflation this country has seen in over 40 years. He advocated for and imposed mandates and restrictions related to COVID, including having people fired from their job based on getting a COVID jab or not. Uh, That has had a hugely negative impact uh, on the economy, and he failed to take leadership 
and take decisive action to alleviate the supply chain crisis that we've seen uh, really beguiling not only this country, but places around the world. And so he has created the circumstances that have led to this resounding disapproval of what he has done. He would have been better off and we would be better off if he had simply got into office and did nothing than what he has done so far. There he is. One of the great leaders of the conservative movement and Republican Party, Ron DeSantis. More when I return. If Mark has banned you from the show, we have a special number you can call to reach him. 877-381-3811. Mr. Producer, let's get some calls lined up, please. Ronnie in Salem, Oregon, the great KUFO. <laughs> Ronnie, go right ahead. Yes, yes, sir, brother, man. Like my, like, like what the Lord says and told uh, Dan Webster, history is God's providence and human affairs. Wait history a minute. Is this is one. my guy, Ronnie. I remember Ronnie. Go ahead. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Republican, alternate oh, chairman. Yeah. You got him right here. Yes, Hope sir. you come out to Oregon one of these days. And the main point is this. History is God's problem is human affairs. Our founding fathers, Daniel Webster, said, because history is there for us to learn from. It is there for us to also in, enhance and trade to our younger generation. So when they have a future, they can pass it on down. What we've seen under this president, anything that uh, we're dealing with food, fuel, energy, he don't care about. The water. We had miracle rains in for Thanksgiving, the early middle of January. And that normally that would be a no white year in California, Oregon, Washington. No, we did. Go off to the ocean. They're purposely trying to undermine our infrastructure, purposely appeasing China. We'll call China for a doggone thing of what they've done to the human rights or anything else. But yes. All right. Ronnie, thank you, my friend. I just got a full board. We appreciate you very, very much. Who's next, Mr. Producer? On the Levin app, Louisville, Kentucky. Richard, how are you, sir? Mark, it's great to talk to you. The last time we talked was back on that wonderful night when Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. And wow. I'll never forget, you don't you asked the people in the panhandle of Florida, you said it's touch and go. And this is very important. Yeah, Please. we work hard behind the, phone, behind the mic here to try and get our vote out. You're damn right. And, Mark, we didn't know at that time, but the FBI was out to cut his throat the whole time. And yeah. today, they took a, a, an advisor of the President of the United States, Peter Navarro, and they snatched him off an airplane and put him in leg shackles and handcuffs. And I, I covered this. What they did is a disgrace. A disgrace. They've taken their political war to a new height. They've turned it not just into a criminal war, but they're locking up people this way, the way Joseph Stalin would. He's probably smiling down on them, excuse me, smiling up from hell at them right now. You would expect this. Can you imagine if we saw a Castro doing this, or a Putin doing this, or Xi doing this, 
to a political opponent's advisor because he wouldn't show up in front of a committee that's already written its report, that's already leaking, whose members are already going out and telling us they want to they want to indict Donald Trump. Can you imagine such a situation? Shame. Shame on Washington. Shame on the Department of Justice. Shame on Congress and shame on us. Thank you for your call, sir. Who's next in line, Mr. Producer? XM Satellite, Annie, Long Island, New York. How are you? Hello, sir. The man, the myth, the legend. I've waited three years trying to get in touch with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> First of all, I need to bottle Ronnie's energy. Because, wow. Yeah. Amen. But my question is this. A quick Internet search of the safest school in America. Mr. Magoo is so busy trying to ban Uzis and Tommy guns. Why doesn't he go look at what he can do By right now? By the way, now? Uzis and Tommy guns are effectively banned, just so you know. Right, but that's what he's doing. I mean, nobody's using Tommy guns anymore, big guy. Relax, mm. okay? He's well, not look, there are get... things we can do. I, I just want to say this. There are major things that need to be done to protect these kids from these hoodlums. They really do. I'm all for it. But they don't have the right ideas. They're not going to work. And they don't want to discuss, or at least Biden doesn't, these other ideas that are being done in other states. They're not perfect, but they're serious. They're things that you got to do. And so, to me, it's not about Tommy guns and stuff like that, as you know. They're already outlawed. You got to go through a remarkable process to get one, and nobody really does. And uh, so... Uh, I just think it's something that needs to be done. We need to arm people, train people, so when somebody like that breaks into the school, they're running down the hallway and they kill them. That is, they kill the perp. Thank you for your call, my friend. Who's next, Mr. Producer? New York's wide awake. Look at that, hour three, Mr. Producer. New York's wide awake. Staten Island, Gary on the great WABC. Go right ahead. Oh, thank you, Mark. Uh, question. Do you consider Henry Kissinger's remarks at Davos recently for peace in Ukraine sooner rather than later in the face of the danger of a nuclear apocalypse? Uh, do you consider him a, a Putinoid, as you put it? Yes. He also was a big Gioid, wasn't he? A big what? G. Oh, oh, G. What? China. China. Gioid. Well, he went to, he went to uh, China with Richard Nixon. I think he worked with Nixon, didn't you? No, I didn't work for Nixon. I worked for Reagan, who opposed Nixon's foreign policy. What are you trying to get at, pal? Oh, I see. Oh, okay. What, what, what so is you your point? you don't like anything about Henry Kissinger? I didn't Here. say I don't like anything about him. I don't even know the man. It's nothing personal. Ronald Reagan ran against the Nixon-Kissinger foreign policy that was called a realist policy. And one of the things he said, pal, was that this constant fear of the Soviets using nuclear weapons against the United States has paralyzed American foreign policy. That we need to beat back the Soviets and challenge them in Angola, challenge them in Nicaragua and El Salvador, challenge them in Afghanistan, challenge them wherever they are, which is exactly what we did through freedom fighters throughout the world. He built up the United States military and he took down the Soviet Union. And they didn't fire any nuclear weapons back then either. So guys like you, as far as I'm concerned, you contribute nothing to the discussion. Nothing. Zero. 
What do you think we should do about Iran? They're going to have nukes soon. What would you do, sir? You got the strange love. Answer my question, you moron. Don't call me that. I get lost. Why? Why? You are a moron. Dr. Strangelove? Good God. You're Dr. Strange, period. You're Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, he wants Ukraine to lose or surrender. What Kissinger said is, uh, Ukraine has to give up territory. Has to give up territory. Otherwise, this cannot be Lazard had to give up territory. Yeah. I remember so many times in history. That was the response to a guy by the name of Adolf. Give him the Sudetenland. Okay, took it. Give him Austria. They speak German over there. Oh, okay. Some do. He took it. Okay, okay. Give him Czechoslovakia. Okay, that's three. Big deal. Who cares? Okay. Peace in our time. We have an agreement. Then he invades Poland. Yeah, give him some That's a get them teletarlid. Yes. Follow Reagan, not Kissinger. Reagan. And I'm sorry for calling you a moron. I should have called you a horse's ass, but. What can I tell you? These things happen. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, good news. It's reported that LeBron James is a billionaire, Mr. Producer. In systemically racist America, a basketball player can become a billionaire, America. And a basketball player who has strong economic ties to a corporation that has strong economic ties to a genocidal regime that has concentration camps and enslaves the Uyghurs, Muslims. Only in America. And yet, we still get the the hate America attitude and statements. You can look at a guy, Steph Kerr. I call you Steph. Steph Kerr's team lost last night. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? I call him what I want to. Did you, did you see he lost? Now, ladies and gentlemen, normally I wouldn't be rooting for either the Celtics or the Warriors. You know, it was an old 76er fan out of Philadelphia. The Celtics kept kicking our butts. And I used to love Will Chamberlain versus Bill Russ on all the rest of it. But that said, I've never rooted so hard for the Boston Celtics in my life. I have nothing against the people in Sacramento. I have everything against their coach who is a consistent, obsessed, irresponsible leftist. And what's with his hair, mister? Here's another one with the hair. Have you noticed that? What's with the hair with the pushed-up front? What's he think? He's in third grade or something? Steph, may I call you Steph? No, it's Steve. No, it's Steph. More on him another night. 
It's Friday. It's been a very difficult week. I'm well aware of that. That's why we come here together. Patriots, people who love this country, people who want the best for this country. And so we're here in common cause. And I want to thank you. I'm very blessed to be here with you. And uh, it's, it's really an honor every single day to be able to come behind this microphone and have these discussions with you. And in your honor, every Friday, we play America. So here you go.
this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, folks. If you can't watch it live, please set your DVR now and record it. Life, Liberty, and Levin. It is a killer show. I think the most important opening statement I've ever made. The week is officially over. The weekend begins now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and our truckers, and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Smokey and Gigi. Good night, Indy. And good night, my little Barney. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. Good night, Joe. And America, God bless you.